Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Jenkins began a five-year, 4,500-mile walk across America in October of 1973. First published as two articles in National Geographic, his memoirs then led to two best-selling books. Two years into the journey, he stumbled into an Alabama revival and ended up accepting Christ as his Savior. Jenkins writes this, I grew up in Connecticut in a very quiet, official East Coast Presbyterian church. My parents made their six children go to church and Sunday school, but I always wanted a religion that had emotion in it. I wanted a religion that had life. When the revival began, this guy from Texas came out screaming and preaching and throwing his arms around. There was sweat dripping and everything. He was dressed in a three-piece suit and cowboy boots. The two of us could not have been more unalike. I was this young man with sun-bleached reddish hair down to his shoulders, unshaven beard, But I honestly felt like when he was preaching the gospel, a huge sword was slicing me into a whole bunch of pieces. He was saying, joining a church won't make you a Christian any more than joining a Lions Club will make you a Lion. From the day you were born, you wanted to do your own thing and you were rebellious against God. If you really want to know God, you've got to be saved from this rebellion, which the Bible calls sin. I could relate to that. I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought I was in search of the truth. The more I heard this stuff, the more I realized that religion is not the answer. Salvation is. You just have something inside of you that knows when you hear the truth, he said. All of the things we think about ourselves, how we define ourselves, all that is insignificant when it comes to what's going on in our soul. James gave me the greatest gift anybody could have ever given me. He led me to the Lord. We're going to look at another conversion story in this episode, the Apostle Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 to 11 read, I barely thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. The Apostle Paul had been kept prisoner for two years in Caesarea in Israel on the Mediterranean Sea by the Roman governor Felix. Here in Acts chapter 26, Felix had been recently replaced by Governor Festus. The Jewish king, Herod Agrippa II, then comes to visit Festus with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to the new governor. It is while they were visiting that Festus brings up this matter of his prisoner, Paul, who he had inherited from his predecessor and whom the Jews desired to kill. This intrigues Agrippa, and he asks Festus if he could hear Paul for himself, and Festus readily agrees to it. Agrippa had a regrettable family history. His great-grandfather, Herod the Great, 
had slaughtered the innocents of those two years old and younger in and around Bethlehem when he tried to kill Christ after his birth. Agrippa's great-uncle, Herod Antipas, had John the Baptist put to death. His father, Herod Agrippa I, had the apostle James killed with the sword. And Agrippa's life to this point had been marked by corruption and immorality. It says in chapter 25, verse 23, that Agrippa and his sister entered the place of the hearing with great pomp. Paul was then brought forward before King Agrippa, and Paul then uses the meeting as an opportunity to share Christ through his personal testimony. Paul begins the testimony of his conversion by saying, I verily thought with myself. And that's where the problem begins for millions upon millions of people. I thought within myself. Many make their thoughts what they think, the absolute authority, that I know what's best, that I know better, that I know how it should be, that I know what is truth in myself. Instead of looking to what God says in His Word and knowing how to be saved and what is the truth, many often lift their thoughts above the Bible. But every single person needs to make sure that they are not simply thinking within themselves as to what is the truth regarding Christ and eternity, because they may be as dead wrong as the Apostle Paul was. Our thinking needs to be based on the authority and absolute truth of the Word of God. Paul's actions as a ruthless persecutor, he shows here, was based upon the authority of his own thinking and pride and what he thought within himself. In doing so, Paul had even put himself under a personal sense of duty and obligation, believing, he says, that he ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He considered it his duty. He thought he owed it to his country, his religion, and to God to oppose Jesus of Nazareth, that he was the Messiah and that he had risen from the dead. Then Paul spells out what he did. Paul had apprehended many people in Jerusalem for their faith in Christ and had them shut up in prison, as he puts here. They were then tried, and Paul gave his voice against them, or literally he voted for their execution because of their belief in Christ and his resurrection. Like a vicious wild animal, Paul made havoc of the church, as Acts 8.3 says, and was breathing out threatenings and slaughter, is the way Acts 9.1 puts it. And he destroyed them which called on Christ, Acts 9.21 says. And it says here that he tortured many when he says that he compelled them to blaspheme. He was trying to force them to blaspheme and deny that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel and that he had risen from the dead. There's a lot of pain and a lot of cruelty in that word, compelled for those Paul persecuted as they were beaten, they were whipped, they were scourged, and they were tortured. But we also see clearly that those who were tortured did not all recant, as seen by the many of the saints that were put to death, as many went to their deaths, refusing to deny Christ and that he rose again. Paul was not satisfied with only arresting and torturing and putting to death believers in and around Jerusalem. Maddened with fury against those who believed in Christ, Paul even traveled to distant places seeking to stamp out the worship and memory of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, 
Paul, when we think of Paul, this isn't a Jewish hitman or a hired gun we're talking about here. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a revered religious leader in Israel. He was a scholar of the word, trained at the feet of the learned Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, the word says. People looked to Paul for what the scriptures taught. They came to him for spiritual advice. He was a deeply religious man. He wore the religious robes. He talked the religious talk. He looked religious, sounded religious, and he smelled religious. Paul was religious, but lost and unsaved. Paul had to lose his religion to gain his salvation. He needed the Lord. Notice how Paul's thinking had changed, though, when he talks about his testimony. Paul now called those whom he had so fiercely persecuted saints in verse 10. He didn't call them that or believe they were that when he was persecuting them. But now his thinking about them as he looked back had changed. You know Paul had memories in his mind of the believers he arrested and tortured and had put to death. He saw those people in his mind and it broke his heart. Acts 26 verses 12 to 14 say, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Paul tells Agrippa that he had received authority from the chief priests in Jerusalem, and they sent him to faraway Damascus, 120 miles northeast of Jerusalem, to arrest believers there. As he was journeying, at midday, Paul was struck down by a bright light, which he says here was brighter than the midday sun. The light that Paul saw was supernatural. It was the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ revealed from heaven. It was the light of the world, the living Lord Jesus Christ in all of his exalted glory. And the power of that light and the glory of that light knocked all of them to the ground. Paul saw Christ's light and then he heard his words. And it's a wonder, when you think about it, that Christ appears to him. It's a wonder that he speaks to him and reasons with him. It's amazing that he doesn't just wipe him right off the face of the earth. All of this was a demonstration of the grace of God and the mercy of God. Christ calls Saul by his name. He knew his name. He knew everything about him and he knew all that he was doing. And the same is true about us. Christ knows our name. And he knows everything there is to know about us. The Lord calls Paul's name and then he asks him a piercing question. Why are you persecuting me? The Lord here identifies himself with his people, those who belong to him. To persecute his saints was to persecute him. Christ is so united to his people that their suffering is his suffering. Their persecution is his persecution. And then the Lord says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Pricks speaks of goads, which were long sticks with a sharp piece of iron on the end. It was used to prod animals along. Today, electric 
cattle prods are used. Uh, in that day, they just used a long stick with a sharp piece of iron at the end. Often in Paul's day, a stubborn animal would kick back against the prick, the long sharpened stick, and it would harm itself. And the Lord says that's what Paul was doing. He was kicking against the goads, against the pricks of his conscience. Kicking back against the work and conviction of the Holy Spirit in his life through the faithful testimony of those who he persecuted. He was seeing their love. He was seeing their amazing devotion to Christ, that they were willing to even to die for him than to deny him. And these things were pricks to Paul's heart. Years earlier, as Paul held the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, and he was holding them so they could throw those rocks as hard as they possibly could, Paul saw the gracious manner in which Stephen died. He heard him pray for God to forgive those who were stoning him as he was dying. This was a prick to his conscience and convicted him. God had been dealing with Paul, but Paul had been resisting the Lord, stubbornly kicking back against those pricks, refusing to believe the truth he'd seen and heard. How about you? Have you been resisting the Lord? Have there been pricks to your conscience and your past to the truth of salvation? Has the Word of God pricked your heart to your need for Christ? That's God's working in your life. And it's God's love for you in showing you your need of Him and His salvation. And He doesn't want us to kick against those pricks and to resist Him. He wants us to turn to Him and to receive His free gift of salvation. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Triumph of His Grace is a hardcover 215-page book written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler. This volume is a comprehensive study on the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Mid-tribulationalism, pre-rap, post-tribulationalism, and the partial rapture theories are thoroughly examined under the microscope of the word, rightly divided. The Triumph of His Grace also contains charts, outlines, timelines, and numerous comparisons to help the reader understand that the body of Christ will be delivered from the wrath to come. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Acts 26, verses 15 through 19 says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, 
delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Who art thou, Lord? Paul asks. Here you have a learned man, a highly educated man, schooled and trained in the Jewish religion and law, who did not know who was speaking to him. He did not know the Lord, and he was not saved. Education and religion does not equal salvation. Faith in the Lord, knowing him as your personal Savior, that's where salvation is found. Christ answers Paul's question, that I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And in that instant, Paul knew and believed that Christ was alive, that he is all that he claimed to be, that he is the living Savior who died and rose again. And I believe his heart was conquered in this moment and was gloriously saved. And that's where salvation is. It's in the miracle of a moment. It happens in a split second of time when you just believe. Salvation isn't based over the whole of your life, whether you were a good person or a bad person or did more good than bad. Salvation happens the second you believe, the moment you trust that Christ died for your sins and rose again, and you are saved just like that. And when you believe, you are instantly declared righteous, instantly have the forgiveness of all of your sins, instantly have eternal life, and instantly have a home in heaven forever. The Lord tells Paul here that he had appeared to him not only that he might be saved, but to make him a minister and a witness for him and to his resurrection, which that's what he's referring to when he says a witness of these things that thou hast seen. He saw the living Lord Jesus Christ. Saul's conversion marked the beginning of a new dispensation, a new dealings with mankind. And to Paul was committed and revealed the dispensation of the grace of God which had been kept secret and hid in the mind of God since the world began. Paul was commissioned as the Lord's apostle of this dispensation, as the apostle of the Gentiles on the very day of his conversion. As the Lord says unto him in verse 17, Unto whom now I send me. The Lord tells Paul, that the truths that he was to proclaim were to be further made known to him through a series of revelations in which the Lord would appear to him. And this speaks to the revelation of the mystery. And that's what the Lord's talking about when he says, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. It's interesting to note also here as a dispensational distinctive that the Lord waits until Paul was on Gentile territory to appear to him and for Paul to be saved. And this is not without significance because Paul was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 18 speaks to the gospel ministry to which Paul was called. The unbelieving have their spiritual eyes closed and they are blind, the scriptures say. They are in darkness. They are under the power of Satan. They are in their sins and they have no inheritance or hope of heaven. Through the proclamation of the gospel of grace, Paul's ministry was to be about opening people's eyes spiritually, bringing people 
out of darkness into the light of Christ. Out from under the authority of Satan to under the authority of God. From being in their sins to having the forgiveness of all their sins and having a heavenly inheritance and hope. But one must trust Christ to have all of this. As the Lord says there, by faith that is in me, by faith alone in Christ, we are free from our sins and we have that home in heaven. Acts 26 verses 24 to 29 read, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, for whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. The recounting of Paul's conversion causes Governor Festus to cry out, Paul, you're crazy, you're out of your mind, you're beside yourself, you're insane, you're mad. Festus gives evidence of the conviction upon his heart. And he barks and yells out an awkward attempt to bring a halt to all of this. He acts embarrassed before the king and the crowd that was gathered there. And he accuses Paul of being a maniac. But Paul's not dissuaded by that. and He does not waver. It was the truth that Christ was risen. It truly is what happened on that Damascus road and what Christ had done for him and saving him using his life. No one can take away your testimony. No one can take away what Christ has done for you. It's the truth. And God doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. God can use your personal testimony in a powerful way as we share it with others. And we can use it to lead others to Christ. What Christ did for Paul and his remarkable transformation was evident from being a fierce, vicious persecutor to a passionate, tender-hearted follower of Christ and standing there in chains for him. It convicts Festus here, so he resorts to insults and shouts that Paul's tremendous learning had driven him insane. But in being called crazy or mad or beside himself, Paul was only following the footsteps of his Savior. John 10 verse 20 says, And many of them said of Christ, He hath a devil and is mad. Paul turns his attention to Agrippa and says how all this was not done in a corner. In Agrippa's position, Christ's earthly ministry, Paul's conversion to Christ, and changed life and widespread ministry would not have been unknown to him, I believe. Agrippa knew all this was true in his personal experience, and Agrippa also knew that what Paul had said was true about Messiah's death and resurrection as it was plainly written in the Word and foretold by the prophets. Paul comes right at Agrippa here and challenges his heart, challenging him with the fact that Agrippa knew that all he had said about his life was true and that all of what he had said about the Messiah was in the Word of God and that he believed the prophets. And so Paul's moving address, his appeal to Scripture, the stirring account of his conversion and what Christ did for him, the power 
of Paul's transformed life, Festus's emotional outburst, all leads, I believe, to Agrippa experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit and to say to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And these eight little words have, have to be among the saddest within the pages of Scripture. Almost is lost. Almost is not heaven. Almost is not saved. And there have been many who have followed Agrippa in being almost persuaded to trust Christ. But we don't want that for you. We don't want you to say almost. We don't want you to say, I'll do it later and bypass the opportunity when you may never have another because we are not promised another day in this world. God wants you to make that decision right now. Paul longed for Agrippa to believe and he desired for all those that were present that day to be saved. He says he wished that they could be as he was, which was saved from his sins having the peace, joy, and assurance of salvation and belonging to Christ and having the sure hope of heaven. And so we say to you also, like the Apostle Paul, I would to God that all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. We want you to trust in Christ. We want you to be saved and heaven bound. Almost is not enough. Paul says it must be altogether. You must place your faith and your soul and your eternal destiny all together in Christ, to place it all in His hands, to rest completely in Him and what He has done for you, and believe that He has done it all. He paid the price for all your sins, that all your hope rests in Him alone. By just trusting that Christ died for your sins and rose again the third day, you are saved from your sins by grace through faith, and you receive the free gift of salvation. It's been rightly said that the work has been done on the cross, the blood has been shed, the price has been paid. The only thing left is for the forgiveness to be received by you. I could offer to give you a $20 bill by holding it out with my hand, but until you reach out and take it from me, it will never be yours. And the same is true with God's salvation. You must receive it. Until you receive it, it's not yours. Please receive it and trust Christ right now. If you'd ever like to talk to someone about salvation and the gospel, please call us at Brian Bible Society at 262-255-4750. Or if you'd prefer to email, our email address is Berean at BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Transformed by Grace. Two Minutes with the Bible, a daily devotional. Two Minutes with the Bible is a timeless classic that our beloved founder, C.R. Stamm, compiled from newspaper articles he had written for various publications. We at the Berean Bible Society are firm believers in the importance of daily devotions to further spiritual growth. What better way to show our appreciation for all of God's bountiful blessings than by spending time with an open Bible and this daily devotional? May God use this work to bring you to a deeper understanding of the riches of His grace in Christ Jesus. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.